Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message will be both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. Due to the coronavirus pandemic, until further notice, we are not meeting physically in the church building and instead are live streaming our worship service on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We hope you will join us either on our website or on our Facebook page for worship. Now, here is this week's message. Good morning, church. I'm glad to be here with you as we finish up our series called The Essentials, where we've been looking at the absolute must-haves of the local church. And just to give you a quick recap, here's what we've learned so far. And remember, these are the things that are absolutely necessary for a local church. Number one was biblically oriented or prayerfully dependent, relationally connected, passionately worshipful, courageously generous, and ministry focused. Which brings us to our last essential, the last must-have of the church. And again, we could have talked about so many things. We've just chosen to talk about these things. And the last essential is culturally engaged. That the local church must be culturally engaged. I mean, this is extremely important and something we can't just discount because as believers, we have a responsibility to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as a reminder, the gospel must drive everything that we do. As Millard Erickson puts it, the gospel is the heart of the ministry of the church. And so we have a responsibility to share the gospel. That means we must engage our neighbors and understand them in order to help them know Christ. But where it becomes critically important is because we don't want to just reach them for Christ. We want them to grow in Christ. And if we don't understand them, if we don't understand their culture and the things they're going through, or the music they listen to, or the people they hang out with, or, or what popular media is saying, If we don't understand what's going on in culture, how can we ever help them grow? So how? How can we reach or teach people if we're disconnected from what people are going through and what they're experiencing? You see, culture, and you know this, today culture is moving fast. It changes quickly. And perhaps the saddest thing that can happen to a local church is when the culture around them, the city around them, the town around them just thinks they're completely and utterly irrelevant. You see, I told you growing up, I I didn't have the best relationship with the church. I wasn't raised in the church, the little subculture it has, which means as a young adult, it was awfully hard to, to really connect with a church. And when I got serious, and when I got serious and I wanted to go all in for Christ, it was a struggle for me. And not because of the gospel, not because of the teachings of Jesus, just because of what they did at church. Now, if you grew up at a church and and you grew up with the traditions, you probably don't notice these things. In fact, my kids won't have to go through this because they're growing up with the church and all the traditions of the church. So they won't notice it either. But for me, I didn't understand a lot of the things they did in the services. 
You see, instead of explaining to everybody why they were doing what they were doing or why they did certain things, they just kind of did it. And they assumed that if you're here, well, that means you must know. But I didn't know, and I was confused, and I had questions, and, and I wasn't quite sure if they were expecting me. That is expecting a guest or expecting somebody who wasn't exactly like them. But you see, the one thing that was really hard for me was I didn't connect with the music. I didn't grow up listening to the hymns on the radio. I didn't grow up in a house where classic hymns were played all the time. And perhaps you did. I mean, and that's amazing and that's great. But I grew up in a house full of classic rock. And growing up, which would have been the 90s, it was nothing but alternative all around me. Me and my friends, we were listening to things like 311 or, or Green Day or Nirvana or Smashing Pumpkins, things like that. That was normal to me, right? All the stuff MTV used to play when MTV, well, when they actually played music. That was a long time ago, but they did. But then after Alternative started to go out, I'm sure we all remember that. When Alternative started going out, I clung to hip hop. That was the music I liked. And again, I think my generation is blessed to be able to listen to a lot of different musics because we've been exposed to a lot. Like MTV played all the popular type of music. But hymns or music just solely played by one instrument, I mean, I never heard that kind of stuff. The only time I ever heard that is when I was younger and I tried my best not to fall asleep at church. And, and before you give me a hard time about falling asleep at church, can we be honest? I see you sitting here. Well, I used to. Now, I'm sure it doesn't help that you're sitting reclined in your lazy boy. I'm sure it's even harder now to stay awake. But you see, we see throughout Scripture how important it is to praise God. We know that music can move us in ways that nothing else can. Music speaks to our soul. It can minister to us. It can teach us. It can, it can help us grow like, like nothing else can. I mean, God gave us music for a great purpose. But for me, when I would attend church, it just wasn't doing anything for me. I didn't get it. It didn't speak to me. I mean, it didn't bring back all the nostalgia of me and my grandparents going to church because me and my grandparents never went to church. It didn't bring back all those great memories of childhood because I don't have that of growing up in the church. So to me, it just seemed like the church played this weird music and perhaps, just perhaps, they were out of touch with what the rest of the world was going through. Like they weren't interested in what everybody else was doing. And to be fair, at this particular church, there was only two young adults, me and my best friend. And I know why. But you see, a pivotal point in my spiritual growth, I mean, something that if I were to write a timeline of how I grew and what God used uh, in my life to help me grow spiritually, a pivotal point in my life is when I found Christian hip-hop. And you may laugh and you may chuckle, and I understand that. I mean, we, not everybody likes hip-hop, but I can tell you that as your pastor, Christian hip-hop catapulted my spiritual life. It had me and helped me grow more than any church or Sunday school ever did. You see, God used a man I'd never met, a man named Marcus Gray, to radically change my life. 
See, Marcus was a seminary student who chose to engage in the culture of hip-hop. Instead of rejecting it, he dove deep down into it and redeemed it for the glory of God. We'll talk more about that later. But he and others dramatically, I mean drastically, helped me in my spiritual growth. And I'm so thankful for those men. I'm so thankful that they chose to jump into the culture, engage the culture for Christ. And I wish, I wish my story was like so many other people's story. I wish I could tell you about the local church and, and how it helped me grow and the things it helped me accomplish. But that's not my story because that didn't happen. The church seems so disconnected from the real world. I mean, what I was actually going through, the things I was actually dealing with. It, it seemed like the church was frozen in a time that no longer existed. And while that was great for those people, while it was amazing for them and they appreciated it and they loved it and they were some of the nicest people I've ever met, they are now faced with the same question so many churches are faced with. Is our church going to make it? See, for many churches, the outlook is bleak. They've rejected and refused to engage with culture. And it won't be long before many of them have to shut their doors. You see, it's absolutely necessary we engage with culture. Because we are trying to reach them. We are trying to teach them. And yes, it's going to be difficult, but that is our mission. See, look what Jesus says. He says this in John 17, 13 through 19. He says, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of joy within them. He's talking to the Father. He says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. See, when Jesus is praying for his disciples because he knows he's about to leave and he teaches us, he says that he has given his disciples, his followers, his word. And because of God's word, people around, the cultural around, hated them. See, we're to be in the world. You've heard this before, I'm sure. We're to be in the world, but we're not of the world. Our identity is now rooted in Christ. It's we are who we are because of who Christ says we are and because who God has made us to be. So our identity and our guidance now comes from God's word, which is going to clash with the culture, which is going to cause us to disagree with the culture. So as Christians, we are no longer of the world, meaning we are no longer on the same page with the culture around us. Remember, Paul says this in Romans 12 too. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, our culture and our world will try to lead us in a certain direction. They'll tell us, this is what the truth is. This is what you have to believe. This is what you got to do. Here's how you raise your kids. Here's how you spend your free time. They'll tell us so many things we're supposed to do. But we aren't conforming. We shouldn't conform to their standards, to their patterns. We should be transformed 
by the word of God and allow that to direct our lives. He continues, Jesus. He says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. And your word is the truth. So even though the world will not like us, even though we will not be on the same page, Jesus doesn't pray that we're taken out as if we should leave. Jesus prays for their protection, for our protection. In fact, did you know the disciples' prayer, the Lord's prayer? Jesus tells us to pray daily for protection from the evil one. That's something that you may want to work into your prayer life. But Jesus asked that we are sanctified or set apart by his word. And that's the truth is his scripture, his word. In other words, being Christians, believing the truth about God will set us apart. It will sanctify us. It will cause us to look at things differently. The word of God will naturally separate us from the culture in which we live. That's not fun. You know that. I know that. It's not fun to disagree with pop culture. It's not fun to disagree with our friends. It's not fun to look at things differently than the people around us. It's hard. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. Our truth doesn't come from what the world tells us. Our truth comes from what God tells us and who he has made us to be. And I know this doesn't sound fun, but does that mean that we should separate ourselves? Maybe we should just build neighborhoods for Christian only and we can do our thing and the rest of the world stays over here? Like, wouldn't that just be easier if we just hung out with people that look like us, sounded like us, talk like us? I mean, we don't really need to pay attention to the rest of them, do we? Well, Jesus isn't done. He says this, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. See, Jesus chose to come down and engage with us. Although he was God, he took on human form, came down and walked among us. He engaged in culture. And as he was sent, we are sent into the world. Jesus warns us it's not going to be easy. But you see, we're looking at the end. We're looking when Jesus is praying. He knows he's going to the cross. He knows all of that's before him. So he's praying this. But from the very beginning, Jesus told his disciples what this life looked like. From the very beginning, Jesus explained what it looked like to be his followers. So although he prays for it in John 17, although they're shocked and awed and don't understand the crucifixion that's coming to Jesus... He warned them what it looked like or what it would look like to be his disciple. You see, the invitation he gave them all the way back towards the beginning, he gave this invitation to two fishermen. And the invitation extends to us. It's one of the simplest ways to simply understand what discipleship is all about. Matthew 4.19, this is the ESV, English Standard Version, says this. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. 
You see, follow me. Those two words are so important. Jesus, this is the call that Jesus gives more than any other call. In fact, in a few weeks, we're going to have a, a sermon series wrapped around following Jesus and what that looks like. But for now, you need to know following Jesus means he is leading and you are not. Following Jesus speaks to the authority and the truth that's in Jesus. Jim Putman puts it like this. He says, the invitation to follow means learning and believing truths about Jesus. This leads to change at the headship, authority, and the head, knowledge, level. Following Jesus is about the choice you make to submit to him, to surrender to him as your Lord and Savior. So he says, follow me. And then he says, I will make you. And this speaks to the process of transformation where Jesus is molding our hearts to become and look more like him. This is all about our response. And after we respond, he comes in and invades our lives to create a new person. This is more than head knowledge. This is transformation of the character and everything inside of you where you are now a new you. And Jesus will make us into that by the power of his spirit. Follow me, I will make. And that's your call, follow him. He will make you fisher of men. See, a disciple of Christ is following him. It's being transformed by him. It's committed to the mission of Christ. You see, the disciples knew this, and you've probably heard it before. At the very beginning, Jesus calls them and calls us to be fishers of men. And here's something that you and I already know. You don't accidentally go fishing. You don't accidentally show up at water with an accidental hook and an accidental bait, an accidental line, an accidental pole, accidentally put all those things together and have it fall in the water and catch something. You don't accidentally go fishing. You have to be intentional about it. And I mean, you know this. I've met all sorts of fishermen here at this church. And one in particular, it's really strange. He has fishing shoes. Now, I don't know a lot about a lot of things, but I'm pretty sure fish don't care what type of shoes you have. But I get it if you need an excuse to justify to your wife why you need a pair of shoes. I mean, I completely understand that. But I do know there are some pretty basic things when it comes to fishing. First, you have to go to where the fish are. All right, you have to go to the water. You have to bait to catch them or use a big net. Either way, it doesn't accidentally happen. And it takes time. It takes patience. You learn as you go. Sometimes the bait will work. Sometimes it won't work. Sometimes you have to switch it up in the middle. I mean, it's a process. And also, you know, fishing is messy. They aren't clean before you catch them. You So when we go fishing, and if we're trying to catch fish, we don't do things we like. We don't throw pepperoni pizza on there for the fish. We don't do things that we enjoy. We do things that the fish like. And if we are gonna fish for others, 
If we are called as disciples of Christ to reach people and help people grow in their faith, then we're going to have to go to where people are. We're going to have to try new things. We're going to have to have patience and understanding saying, you may not get it with the first one, but let's try again. And we have to understand it's going to be a little messy. See, when you go fishing, you aren't focused on the fish you've already caught. You're focused on the fish you want to catch. In other words, if we're trying to reach people for Christ by doing what saved people like, it's the equivalent of a fishing in your fishing tank at home. You're trying to catch things and do things for people who already caught, who already believe. You see, as culture changes, as a new generation rises up, a church must change its methods. Never its message, never the meaning behind it, but it must change its methods for reaching a new generation for Jesus Christ. Well, that is, if it wants to continue. And this is hard. This isn't easy. Change isn't easy. And change when it comes to church is definitely not easy. Something we all have to remind ourselves that as Christ followers, we are called to fish for others. And the good thing is, is we can learn from the experience of the disciples. We can see the things that they had to learn and what they had to go through. For instance, Peter. I mean, Peter was a great man of boldness. He was bold in everything he did, even the things he wasn't supposed to do. He knew he wasn't perfect. Peter knew he had inadequacies. When Pete, Jesus said he had to go to the cross, Peter said, that's not going to happen, Lord. I'll die and I'll fight for you. And Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows, Peter. Peter said, no, not me. Well, that night, Jesus was arrested. That night, Jesus, Peter, excuse me, Peter did deny Jesus three times. And evidently, Peter was in the eye shot of Jesus because that very last time, that very last denial, Jesus looked up and stared at Peter and the rooster crowed to remind Peter. Peter did what any of us would do. He went outside and cried. But see, Peter's story doesn't end there. After feeling that guilt, after feeling that shame, in John chapter 21, Jesus comes to him after the resurrection and Peter is restored. Peter is redeemed. Peter understands that he is still given the mission. He is put back into a place of prominence where he is going to be this leader, this discipler for Jesus. So Peter knows all about forgiveness. Peter knows all about sin. Peter knows all about disappointment. He personally knew what it was like to experience the grace of God. But even so, Peter still didn't fully understand that all people are welcomed into God's kingdom. See, in Acts chapter 10, we see that God had to reach Peter through a vision to remind him and let him know that what God made, nothing is unclean, understanding all people are welcomed and all people matter to God. And even though he got it for that minute, we see later in the book of Galatians that Peter and Paul got into a scuffle because Peter was still pulling away when other Jewish people would come around. He was pulling away from the Gentiles. He was still treating them as if they were different, as if they weren't good enough, as if they couldn't be hung out with like other people. You see, Peter had to learn, and what we have to remind ourselves is that all people matter to God. 
I mean, all people, and this, this is all subcultures. This is the people with those piercings. This is the people with those tattoos. These are the people who listen to hip hop music or the people who have orange hair or blue hair or yellow hair or no hair. All people matter to God. So in a church, we have to remember that. A church shouldn't be full of people who look like each other and talk like each other and sound like each other. A church should be all God's children coming together, being unified around Christ. They also had to learn not only that all people matter to God, they had to learn that we mustn't, I like that word, by the way, mustn't. We mustn't make it difficult for others. See, Acts 15, Council of Jerusalem, it settled so much for us. This was thousands of years ago. Remember, the church leaders were trying to figure out what Gentiles were supposed to do once they came to Christ. Some were saying they had to follow the entire law of Moses. Remember, these are Jewish people. These are their customs. These are their traditions. This is the law from God. And so after people were becoming Christians, they said, well, how much of the law do they have to keep? Yeah, we know about grace and all that, but I mean, don't they still have to do some things? Some leaders said they had to do this, this, and this. Other leaders said, no, you don't, don't, don't. Make a long story short, and after a lot of argument, James stood up in the midst of everybody. and said, no. No, he says, it is my judgment, Acts 15, 19. It is my judgment, therefore, we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. You see, James realized something. James was very self-aware. He realized the stuff that he grew up with, the things that he did, being a Jewish person, with all those customs and all those traditions, he realized that all of that stuff would be difficult for somebody who didn't grow up with it. So James was very self-aware. He said, no, no, we shouldn't add this stuff to them. We shouldn't impose this on them. He knew what was normal to him wasn't normal for other. And instead of imposing that culture on people that wasn't necessary, he said, now they don't have to do that. I mean, can you imagine the first altar calls if this wouldn't have been this way? Can you imagine believing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Come get baptized, then you'll go get circumcised, and then we'll teach you about the 600 and some laws. I mean, can you imagine how difficult that would be? I mean, we better be thankful for James speaking up. It's the reason why we don't practice those things today. He said, no. See, if we're going to reach and teach people for Christ, we have to be aware that sometimes our culture the things we grew up with, the things that seem so normal to us aren't normal to everyone. And we can't impose what we think or our traditions because we're saved by the grace of God. And embracing the gospel, well, that's hard enough. We shouldn't impose extra things to make it difficult for them to know and love God. And lastly, we must meet people where they are. We can't expect non-Christians to act like Christians, but we surely can expect Christians to act like Christians, which means as Christians, we are the ones fishing. We must go to them and we must meet them where they are. Acts chapter 17, towards the end, Paul gives us a great example of this. He's in Athens where all the smart, educated philosophers are. He's walking around the idol, look at, walking around the, seeing all the idols and seeing all the statues and just appalled and distressed of, of all the things they were worshiping. He goes around teaching them about Jesus and, and they start to questioning us. What's this strange stuff you're teaching? What's going on? 
And Paul says, well, he says, I see that statue that says to an unknown God. Because right, these are the smart people. So he says, well, if you have a statue that says to the unknown God, haven't you already claimed ignorance about these things? Haven't you already claimed that you don't know it all? So he proceeds to tell them about the gospel and about Christ. He even recites one of their poems back to them. See, Paul knew their culture enough to engage with them. Not not to just participate in it. He knew their culture well enough to then use it to point them to Jesus Christ and show them how their culture, the things they're believing in, the things they're worshiping, the things they're giving their life to, how it won't satisfy and how it's not good enough. And we still need to do that today. We still need to help people and guide people and understand what they're doing and understand what they're trying to get out of things in order to point them to Christ. So instead of just bashing people and instead of just saying, no, you just can't be a part of us. He engaged the culture and it turns out he won many of them to Christ. You see, it's so easy to forget where we've been. It's so easy to to move forward in this life and forget how good God's been to us. It's so easy to forget who we used to be and those things we used to do. It's so easy to forget. As I told you before, if if you've never been in my office, I have my, my degrees hanging on the walls and I'll be honest with you, they're not that special to me. I have those hanging there for other people to see, so to build some trust to rapport. I'm not exactly sure that's what people have in their offices, so I put mine up. But what's there for me in my office is sitting on my bookshelf. It's my high school transcripts. And it reminds me every day that while I do have some college degrees, it's only because of the grace of God. Because my high school trip reminds me, I am actually the guy who had a 1.52 GPA. I'm the guy who graduated high school with a collective GPA of one. I have a D average. I mean, that's who I actually am. But God has saved me and redeemed me and used me. So as a church, we must remember that all people matter. We mustn't, that's my words today, mustn't. We mustn't make it difficult for them to know and grow in Christ. And we must meet people where they are. That's what fishermen do. That's what we're called to do. So as we think about how to engage culture, as we think about how to reach a new generation for Christ, a different generation from Christ, let's go over some ROEs, which is rules of engagement when it comes to culture. This isn't original with me and I found it extremely helpful. So the rules of engagement are simply this, reject what is evil, receive what is good, and redeem what is broken. While some things are black and white in this world, many things aren't. And so some things we don't like, but we can't throw it all out. We need to keep part of it. And and it kind of gets hard to figure out what to do with all of that. So if we follow these ROEs, if we as a church navigate this world, understanding that we reject what is evil, we receive what is good and redeem what is broken, we will go a long way bringing glory to God. You see, we reject what is evil because evil is evil and sin is sin. We reject it. We don't pretend it's okay. We don't water it down. We don't pretend the Bible doesn't say what it says. We hold fast to the truth of the gospel and we call sin what it is. So we reject evil 
But in that, we want to receive what is good, which means James tells us that every good thing, every good and perfect thing is from above, and we believe that God gives good things. And that's kind of the hard thing about sin is a lot of times sin is when somebody takes a good thing from God and they distort it and use it for evil. So, so it's, not, it's not foundationally bad. It's just that people have done bad things with it. So we want to receive what is good and understand that we can reject evil, receive good, but then we got to be in the business of redeeming things. Redeem what is broken. See, many times you can redeem that good thing. You can reject the evil in it and redeem it for the glory of God. For instance, we are broken sinners, but Christ chose to redeem us for his good. God can use things that man, people who haven't done so much good and use them for his glory. Best example I can give for one is music, as I talked about before. That's what Marcus Gregg did. See, he grew up listening to hip hop. He enjoyed it. Music and the arts are a gift from God, even if you don't necessarily understand them. That's okay. However, there has been plenty of hip-hop that's been corrupted. I mean, the words are full of sin and they're full of evil. And so people have taken this good thing, this art form, and turned it into evil and sin. So Marcus Gray came in and he redeemed it. He took the good, the art form out of it, redeemed it, and now put Christian lyrics you know there's no such thing as Christian music, correct? There are Christian lyrics, but music, it doesn't, you know, music isn't saved or not saved. That's not how that works. But he redeemed it and started using Christian lyrics and promoted it for the glory of God. And so he took something that many people thought was sinful. He found the good in it and used it for the glory of God. He engaged with the culture, but didn't participate in the sinfulness of it. And well, I tell you, and I told you at the beginning, he helped me in my walk. Also, he's helped other people. For instance, one other uh, musician tells a story of how he first saw Marcus at a concert. This particular person was a drug dealer in St. Louis. And because of his testimony, because of what Marcus did on stage, because he could relate to the music and the inspiration and his skill, he, he took interest in Jesus, became saved, and now also is a musician for the glory of God. Another example I want to give quickly, I don't want to bother too many of you, but, it, but it's sex. Sex is a good thing from God. However, it's been corrupted and distorted in many evil ways. But we don't throw all the sex out just because people do sinful things with it. Because we can allow the gospel to redeem that, to redeem our sexual nature and use it for his good and his glory when it's done in according to his will and his ways. And there are countless other examples, but you get the point. How do we engage? What's our rules of engagement? Well, it's rejecting what's evil. We have to do that. But we can receive what is good, understanding that things aren't always black and white, and redeem what is broken. And we never forget Romans eight twenty eight. Paul says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who've been called according to his purpose. God can redeem anything you've been through. He can use your past for his glory. He can use whatever you've done, whatever you might do, whatever you will do. He can use all of it for his glory and through your testimony, I mean, God is in the business of redemption. And you too, 
can be redeemed. And you can start with a new life in him. Because Jesus calls us all to follow him. That's believe in him, put your faith and trust in him. And he will turn you and transform you and make you into a new person. He will put you to work then for his glory. And I can't imagine what God's gonna do with you. I'm telling you, if he can use someone like me, someone with a 1.5 GPA for his glory, I can't imagine the amazing things he could do with you. Together, as a church, we engage culture. We must be aware of what's going on. We must reject evil, receive what is good, redeem what is broken. And we'll never have to worry about the doors of our church closing as long as we continue to disciple others for Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you today understanding that, Lord, we're sinful and we need your grace. Father, please forgive us of all the sin that we've done. Redeem us and wash us through the blood of Christ. Father, all of us by nature are selfish. We love what is comfortable, what we're familiar with, the things we're used to. But Lord, you've called us to look past ourselves and to look towards others. Father, we confess to you today, that's not easy. We confess to you today that that's hard. But Father, use your spirit to remind us and encourage us that it's not about our glory, but about yours. It's not about our comfort, but yours. Lord, I pray that as a church, we continue to engage with culture, that we become aware. Lord, may we never seem irrelevant to the world around us. May people never look and say, well, what they have, we're not interested in because they just don't get our life. Lord, we pray that we are good stewards of the gospel. Father, we pray for anybody who hasn't given you their life, who's still holding on, Lord. We pray that you would just draw them in close and close, that your Holy Spirit would convict them and pull them in. Father, we thank you and we love you so much. We thank you so much that you choose to use us. So in the precious name of Jesus, we pray, amen.